peace everybody welcome back to another episode of behold pop culture the show where we take a look at some prominent people figures and events from pop culture today and in the past and try and see what lessons we could take away from them the date of this recording is friday september 11th and i think that everyone's kind of settling in to being online in terms of school and students taking their classes from their computers. I hope that everything's going well in terms of that. We have a ton of topics to get to today, so I'm going to dive right in with our first section, which is, of course, the sports section, where the NBA over the past week has had its fair share of eventful games, and the NFL, of course, started yesterday with this first game. So it only makes sense for me to begin with the first team to get eliminated from this round of the playoffs, the Milwaukee Bucks, who somehow squeezed out one win with Giannis getting hurt, but for all intents and purposes, got swept by the Miami Heat. And I think there wasn't too much to take away from this outside of Jimmy Butler being able to show off his leadership for a relatively young team. But on the other side of the ball, yes, Giannis got injured. But I think there's questions that are starting to sprout up because of his performance here. This is the second consecutive year where Giannis has both won an MVP and gotten bounced out of the playoffs. And now the conversation has shifted from him needing help to questioning whether or not Giannis is a top five player. And frankly, I think that that question is blasphemous, as Stephen A. Smith would say. Giannis is definitely a top five talent in the league today. But no team in the NBA has ever won without a second player stepping up. Yes, I do believe that there were some questions as to Giannis's willingness to guard the best player on the opposing team and his overall ability to make his own shot. But I do believe that that team isn't as well constructed as their regular season success suggests they are. The Milwaukee Bucks has talent. Yes, they have shooters and they have a decent defense. But they don't have a second player yet, a Kobe to his Shaq. And I'm willing to cut Giannis some slack in that regards. Which is why no matter what Giannis says, no matter how committed he says he is to the team, I'm not confident that if they don't make a move soon, Giannis won't leave the team. But I do believe that the more important narrative here is the Miami Heat played extremely well. They played great defense. They were consistent throughout the series. Everyone who was expected to show up did show up. Jimmy Butler came through with several clutch performances, and an underrated player in Tyler Hero made some great shots down in the clutch. So I want to give credit to the Miami Heat and wish the Milwaukee Bucks luck with finding that second player or maybe Chris Middleton stepping into that stardom where they could find some semblance of success for that team. And that'll move us to another team that seems to be struggling with that same concept in the Denver Nuggets who are facing the Los Angeles Clippers right now. While, as I said in my previous podcast, the Denver Nuggets didn't have any real chance, in my opinion, of beating the Clippers simply because of how great of a team the Clippers are, 
I think the Denver Nuggets, the real narrative here isn't that they're going to lose to the Clippers if it's not already obvious. But the real question is, who's the best player on the team? And this is an important question because when you're constructing an offensive game plan, that player who is established as the best on the team needs to be universally accepted by everyone on the team. So is it Nikola Jokic, the joker, who's going to conduct the offense as a center playing point guard at times? Or is it their true point guard, Jamal Murray, who we just saw in the previous series put up multiple 50-point games that were necessary for them to climb out of the 3-1 hole? I personally believe that Jokic is the best player, but can he be the best player on a championship team? Or will they need Jamal Murray to take a step forward? One of the major headlines for this team has been Michael Porter Jr. complaining about the ball distribution. Michael Porter Jr., who I feel like has the ceiling to become a Kevin Durant-esque player, a lanky scorer who can truly score from any point on the court. He feels that he's the best scorer on the team, in my opinion, and he is complaining about the distribution as in the Denver Nuggets turning to Jamal Murray and Jokic a little bit too often. And I don't disagree with him. However, I felt that he shouldn't have expressed those concerns publicly. But that aside, it is a legitimate concern. Is the Denver Nuggets built for a player like Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic to be turned to so frequently to score? Or do neither of those players have the scoring acumen to be that go-to guy? And does the Denver Nuggets need to spread the ball a little bit more? I don't think that question will be answered in the next game, as I think that will be their final game of this season. But that's definitely something that they need to consider in this upcoming offseason. Likewise, something that wasn't acknowledged, in my opinion, as much as it should have, was the Houston Rockets' struggles with getting players outside of James Harden to be efficient scorers as frequently as they need. Their series against the Lakers will also likely be done by the time this podcast comes out. And I think a large part of this, I actually, I was reading an article on this, on the way the Lakers have chosen to defend James Harden. And it's interesting, to say the least. They are forcing James Harden to be anything but the primary scorer. And though James Harden is still coming out of these games being the leading scorer on his team, the Lakers are using this game plan where they double team him immediately from half court and rotate around the three-point line. For those who aren't the deepest basketball planning experts, this essentially means that the Lakers are leaving the paint wide open considering that the Rockets don't have any big men and forcing them to take two-point shots instead of three-pointers. The Lakers will not allow the Rockets to rain threes on them, and it's working to a T. Yes, the games aren't blowouts necessarily by the Lakers, but this defense is preventing the Rockets from going on those huge runs that you would see them dominate other teams with and ultimately lead them to success. So James Harden will get his 30 to 40 points, but... 
everyone else on the team is struggling to be as efficient. And through that, the Lakers are holding the Rockets to much lower scoring averages and doing what they need to do to get the job done. Because we know on the offensive side, they have the firepower in LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the new addition in the playoffs, Rajon Rondo, who's now healthy and contributing on the offensive side. So that series is all but over. And that allows us to end the NBA section with the last series and my favorite series of this round, which is the Raptors-Celtics series. Last week, I spoke about this series and noted that I personally selected the Raptors to win this series. And I was feeling nervous. I, I admitted to feeling nervous about the Raptors winning this series because the Celtics have such such diverse options where Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart are firing from all cylinders on the three-point line and Kemba is able to just drive into the paint at ease and dish out for open shots. They're forcing the Raptors to rotate so frequently that I wasn't sure the Raptors would be able to get it done. I stayed confident as I'm still confident going into tonight. But man, the Raptors have shown some unbelievable resilience as a team and I give much of the credit to that too. I believe he's the longest standing Raptor on the team, correct me if I'm wrong, but Kyle Lowry has been a great leader for this squad. The veteran on the team is leading them with mind and heart as not only is he inspiring the team and encouraging them every time they make a shot or make a great play, period, But he's making great plays. He's come through both on the defensive end and on the offensive end. As the best game of this round, let alone this series, was their previous game. The Raptors were down 3-2 and Lowry, who played 50, above 50 minutes in this game, was just willing his way down the stretch into a double overtime game where at the end he would make a highly contested shot in Kemba Walker's face and seal the game. He left the Celtics with barely any time to inbound the ball, let alone put up a shot. And as you already know, the Celtics could not win that game. So we're coming into tonight with the Raptors having the momentum on their side. And I'm going to stay confident with my pick. I'm going to say the Raptors will win tonight, face the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, and further be in the NBA Finals this year. This is, in my opinion, the most highly anticipated game of the NBA playoffs so far. And I'll be on the edge of my seat as I watch to see if Kyle Lowry and the Toronto Raptors can pull it off. But credit to both sides, the Celtics have been playing great as well. They, they have a lot of young players, and they've been stepping up all in their own unique ways as leaders, and they have a bright future whether or not they advance tonight. That's a perfect way to conclude the NBA side of things and allow us to just give a little perspective on the NFL start, where the kickoff for the NFL season was last night, And the Chiefs and Texans had a far from exciting game, I would personally say. 
We had the defending Super Bowl champs led by prior MVP Patrick Mahomes pretty much defeat the Texans at ease. The Houston Texans didn't show us anything special as they've lost their best receiver in DeAndre Hopkins and haven't made any improvements to what stifled them last season, which was a poor offensive line and a questionable defense. So Mahomes would apparently easily dispose of the Texans where the main headline wouldn't be which team won or even Patrick Mahomes himself. But the headline was rookie running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire on the Chiefs side of the ball, who was a highly anticipated prospect once he was drafted by the Chiefs particularly, because the Chiefs cleared the room for him to be the starting running back of the team, get all the major touches, and he delivered last night. I'll admit, in the first half of things, we didn't see anything crazy. We saw a decent play. But once he made a great cut for, I believe, 30-plus yard touchdown, everyone's anticipation was essentially answered there. He put up decent fantasy points for anyone who plays fantasy football and solidified for anyone who was questioning it that he has the talent to be the top running back and will produce great numbers for that team. That essentially concludes the sports side of things with all the headlines that I needed to address there and allows us to move on to the music section of the podcast where no major pop culture relevant albums dropped. I'll give a quick nod to an underground album from the artist Conway the Machine A little bit of a hardcore rap street artist, but a great lyricist. And anyone who's interested in hardcore hip-hop, I'll direct you to his new project. I believe it's called From King to God. That I think anyone who's interested in the hardcore underground hip-hop is bound to enjoy. But returning back to the podcast topics, the pop culture side of things, the biggest headline was actually, in my opinion... Travis Scott's deal with McDonald's, where Travis Scott debuted a commercial where he's a toy and introduces the Travis Scott meal for all McDonald's across the country, it seems. It comprises of a quarter pounder, some fries, and a Sprite for $6. And the internet has been overrun with reactions to this meal because it's Travis Scott, I mean, what do you expect? Travis Scott has that name now where when you attach him to any brand, people are going to notice and people are going to pay attention. So I imagine that McDonald's has some type of deal with him where if some number that they set of people go and order the Travis Scott meal, that's an incentive that Travis will benefit from. And of course, on Travis's side, he attached merch that he designed in association with this deal. And it seems clear as day to me that he's been well paid from this business venture. I actually wanted to commend McDonald's for not just signing Travis and forcing him to fit into some type of box, as I've seen them do with other celebrities, but they signed him and it seemed 
as if they gave him a decent amount of creative control. This felt like Travis Scott. It didn't feel like Travis playing some type of role for McDonald's. So without any major analysis there, I wanted to give credit to both of them a great deal on Travis's side, financially speaking, and a great deal on McDonald's side for representing a corporate brand allowing an artist to just be themselves. And the only other major notable takes that I wanted to address here was the recent releases this week of the XXL Freshman Cyphers. Something that seems to have become an annual event for hip-hop fans out there. Where they take the up-and-coming artists, the up-and-coming hip-hop artists at the time, and try and see what they can put out on the freestyle side, and just bring generally more attention to them for anyone who may not be keeping up with the young talent that's coming. So with the ciphers, rather than pointing out who I think didn't do well or didn't perform particularly in a notable way, I wanted to big up the women, the two women, only two were in this class, but the two women, Chica and Mulatto, in my opinion, had the best performances on these ciphers. Chica, who in my opinion has the most lyrical talent in this class, showed out against all men in her cipher. And likewise, Mulatto, who I wasn't too familiar with, showed off great cadence, great flow, great lyricism within her realm of topics, her realm of content, of course. But she showed off. And again, another cipher filled with men. So I wanted to big up them because I think that Chica, I believe, has the greatest prospect for a long career. And Mulatto, frankly, impressed me and inspired me to just keep a lookout for her on her next album release. So she earned that out of me. Most of the other artists, the men, performed somewhat expectedly. I wanted to give credit to a position that typically is frowned upon and talked down on from year to year, which is the producer who's responsible for picking the beats for these ciphers. This year, they recruited up-and-coming producer who has hits now, Jetson Maid, who a lot of people weren't sure if the artist themselves sounded good or the beat was so well done that he had artists that may not be as talented as they look sounding well, so I wanted to give credit to him. And of course, every year, XXL has this media circus where fans frantically are looking for who was the the joke of the cipher. And I'm not going to refer to this man as a joke because I think that's a little bit irresponsible of me to do. But this year, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that little kid got the award for mumble rapper of his class as his cipher was filled with difficult to interpret words and essentially was a crooning cadence that you either like or don't. I'm calling him out here to improve what he's doing because I don't think that cipher boosted his stock at all. It's unfortunate because I actually have seen Little Key demonstrate a strong ability to produce solid music, solid songs. 
but this this wasn't it. That, that's all I have to say about that. I think that maybe he should have paid more attention to how this would have been received. Hopefully, this message falls on either his ears or the ears of future XXL artists to just value the reach that XXL has. A lot of these artists I had never heard of, and I was able to take a look into their catalog because of their performances on the XXL. And I am someone who keeps up with the youth, so for for someone to slip my radar and also inspire me to go back into their catalog, it just further proved to me the importance of XXL, the power that XXL possesses. And that concludes the music section of today's podcast and brings us to the film section where there's only two things I wanted to address here. The first of which is the announcement of what appears to be Warner Brothers' new major film, Dune, featuring someone who's now becoming a A-list actor in terms of his namesake and Timothy Chalamet. He may not be a household name yet, but I've seen him in some major projects. So this is not anything new for him. And of course, across from him is the star Zendaya, who I think is much more of a household name who has transcended film because of her presence on the internet through her show Euphoria, which I think was a phenomenal show. It was well done both on the acting side and the writing and her existence on Disney that boosted her stock as well. But this new film's trailer came out and it's based on apparently a bestseller. I'm not familiar with it, but there's apparently a bestseller by the same name where the premise appears to be that the main character played by actor Timothy Chalamet has an ability to see the future. His destiny is tied to his ability to see the future, and his goal is to save his people as they're on track to walking into a major trap. So it appears to me to be a sci-fi war movie filled with recognizable actors And as expected of most major movies nowadays, great graphics, great visuals. It's clear to me that they may have broken the bank with this movie. And me, someone who isn't familiar with the story at all, I was intrigued by the trailer. I highly advise you to check it out. And I do plan on seeing this movie. I'm still waiting for an opportunity to see the Tenet movie that's been getting great reviews as well. But Dune is being added to my list of movies to look forward to as it is right up my alley and it seems to be it seems to have the potential to be a pop culture staple if they hit with the writing on this film. They have everything else set up, the big budget, visual, actor, everything that they need. It just comes down to the execution. With that being the major news On the movie side, the only other thing I wanted to note was the Mulan movie released. And unfortunately, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. But the reason I still chose to bring it up is I think for the film industry as a whole, if any of you viewers are fans of the entire experience going to the movies, sitting down, maybe buying some popcorn and snacks and just 
seeing a movie on the big screen, I think Mulan, in terms of data metrics, is going to be important in terms of dictating the future for that experience. The reason I say that is Disney released Mulan straight to Disney Plus for $30, I believe. And I, and this is purely a projection here, but I believe if Mulan does numbers anywhere near what they would have projected for if they released it in movies regularly pre-COVID, the movie theaters are in danger because then these film companies might look at the streaming services and say, why not cut out the middleman? And if that happens, I unfortunately believe that that might be a major point to note in the trend towards the diminishment of movie theaters. So secretly, while I will at some point get to watching the movie, I hope that the numbers prove the importance of movie theaters because I myself enjoy movie theaters and am a fan of that experience. I would be beyond disappointed if movie theaters would cease to exist in our society. And those were the two major things I wanted to address in the film over the past week. And that brings me to a pretty action-packed week for gaming that was kicked off by a leak of the Xbox Series S's pricing. The first pricing reveal of any sorts for the next generation of consoles. They announced that they will be releasing the Series S on November 10th this year, meaning that as they announced on September 22nd, you could pre-order it for that date. Not only is this important for the consoles, but this is important for any games that were projected to be released past November 10th. Because that likely means we can expect any games with release dates beyond that will have next-gen versions. So Xbox announces this price of $299, which was something for console gaming fans in general to rejoice over. Because there was some anxiety, some heavy anticipation that the next-gen consoles, the specs that they were boasting, were almost too good to be true for a console. No loading screens, all digital, quick downloads, potentially cross-generation play. There were people projecting that the PlayStation 5 would be $1,000. And while they haven't announced it, it is a breath of fresh air that this Xbox will only be $299. Because that means that it won't be some enormous, unbelievable weight put on our wallets for the next generation of consoles. This makes me believe that the PlayStation 5 shouldn't exceed four or $500 for its price tag. And that's great news for anyone who's planning on buying a next-gen console. But accompanied with this announcement was... Another major staple in gaming in the Call of Duty series, revealing their multiplayer for their upcoming game Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. The most notable piece of this, because 
I think we could all have deduced that they would have showed off great graphics, great gameplay, all the highlights. But the most notable thing that they announced was cross-generation gameplay. I have not seen any game capable of this. This is the first I'm hearing of a console-to-console generation crossover. As they announced that this game would have PlayStation 5s and Xbox Series S's be able to play with PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox Ones. This is this makes for a great release for Call of Duty. I think this is their most highly anticipated game since their flop in Call of Duty Ghost. And a potential opportunity for them to get back on the right track with the younger generation. So the major announcement that everyone could play this game is big, as the Warzone was previously free. I assume them to continue that. And like Fortnite, the barrier to entry for anyone interested in playing the game is so low that the potential for growth and strengthening their brand is high. So on the more technical side with Call of Duty, for anyone who's a diehard fan, they announced a new map for Warzone coming. They announced that score streaks will now carry over through death. But other than that, you know what you're getting. You're getting another Call of Duty game, a first-person shooter. You're going to try and play with your friends. There's going to be toxic lobbies. I think that this is just setting up to be Not more relevant for the fans per se, but more relevant for Call of Duty, the brand, as they have a potential to hit a home run with this next game that has been slated to release on November 13th, three days later than the Xbox next gen release, which means not only can they make a splash with the anticipation for the Warzone and game itself, but they can make a splash in being the first major release for next-gen consoles. So this is definitely something to keep an eye out for if you're a fan of the game or just interested in the progression of next-generation gaming. And the most recent event, something that happened actually yesterday, was Ubisoft's event called Ubisoft Forward, where they announced a couple new games in the making And I wasn't expecting anything too notable. Ubisoft has some great IPs, some great intellectual property games that people are familiar with. And I expected to only see sequels or prequels or things of that nature where they're continuing a brand. And they did that with Watch Dogs Legion, a continuation of that series. That looks great. The graphics, as always expected with these reveals, was great. The new mechanic that everyone is falling over their seats about is that now you can take control of every character in the game. It takes planting birds on the... You could play the super tech programmer that works at a high-stakes company. The, The possibilities seem endless for that game. The possibilities seem endless for that game, and I commend them for their step forward. I've never played a Watch Dogs game myself, but... Their reveal got me to want to buy it. I think that I plan on buying that game when it releases. But in my opinion, 
The biggest announcement that Ubisoft made was a completely new game. And I'm usually skeptical when it comes to new games being released because more often than not, they miss. But I am a fan of it. I always ask for new IP as a gaming fan. But again, I am skeptical of it. There hasn't been too many times where new IP for established companies like Ubisoft have hit the ground running and been a top game of all time. Usually, Nintendo has dominated those top-selling game areas. But yesterday, Ubisoft announced a rebrand of a game they had announced about a year ago, but they completely changed the name and it seems like the mechanics of the game as well. This new game that they're coming out with called Immortals Phoenix Rising, which to paint a picture, it looks like The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, if you're familiar with that game, mixed with Greek mythological elements. It's an open world, colorful, vibrant game where you can create your own character and traverse the world as you, a character named Phoenix, is tasked with the difficult yet possible goal of saving the world. You have to save this world that's now overrun with demons, gods, all of these evil characters that you have to defeat on your way to saving the world. And it's uniquely narrated by Zeus, while it's filled with appealing fighting mechanics and just an overall great look. The open world looks vast as it's filled with puzzles, filled with items to acquire, new weapons, new equipment. The game looks amazing. This is one of the best reveals I've seen in my time. And it did more than build up anticipation, as I've seen no bad reviews about this reveal. So I highly advise you to take a look at the trailer for this game if you're interested. They have much more information to announce down the road, but they've already got my money. I'm, I'm interested in taking this journey. And I have to commend them because... Originality is so scarcely found that when something looks original and has the ability to be a top game of the year, that's how the game is looking. I commend it. I I recently experienced something similar with The Ghost of Tsushima, a completely new game, completely new story, something that everyone was unfamiliar with, and that game turned out to be a game of the year contender and it really makes you side eye some established brands underperforming most notably the recent highly anticipated game that received mixed reviews was the last of us 2 but i'll end with that a highly anticipated game in immortals phoenix rising and that concludes this week's podcast. There wasn't anything too crazy on here, but there was a little something for everyone. 
in the news side of things. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Leave a like, leave a review, leave a five-star rating if you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. I'm still adjusting to this style, so any feedback is much appreciated. As I continue to develop and try to bring you the best possible podcast that I can bring every single week. And I appreciate everyone who takes time out to listen and join me on this journey. So thanks for listening once again, and I'll talk to you next time. This is Behold Pop Culture.